Welcome to the very first episode of A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, uh, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I'll invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very, very pleased to welcome Lara Williams, the author of Treats, Supper Club and The Odyssey. Her fiction has won the Guardian Not the Booker Prize and has been nominated for the BBC National Short Story Award, the Republic of Consciousness Prize, the Edinburgh First Book Award and the Edge Hill Short Story Prize. Lara lives in Manchester, so is joining us over Zoom today um, and is a contributor to The Guardian, The Independent, Times Literary Supplement, Vice, Dazed and others. Spare Ribs Club's April book is Lara's Supper Club, uh, which won the Not the Booker Prize in 2019 and was listed as one of the best books of the year in Vogue, Time and Vulture. The novel is subversive and radical, exploring themes of identity, sexuality, friendship and a woman's relationship with her body. Supper Club ricochets from past to present, pausing intermittently to offer an indulgent and detailed recipe to both celebrate and politicise food, reworking recipes as a tool to reflect on the protagonist's life and on life in general. Roberta takes up cooking to avoid succumbing to loneliness at university, and this passion later develops into her co-hosting secret dinner parties filled with food, alcohol, drugs and petty crimes with a group of young women. Hungry women gather to gorge themselves, to free themselves, and as their bodies expand, so do their desires. Thank you so much, Lara, for joining us today. Hi, um, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> I forgot I'm supposed to speak. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, this is our first podcast, so there's going to be a lot of slightly awkward silences from my end, so it's absolutely fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you very much for giving up your time. Uh, we love the book in the club. Um, there are lots of different opinions. We've had a couple of meetings so far. We've got one next week. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, which th three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? Okay, so should I go through each one individually? Yes, please. So to begin with, I was thinking about the idea of a feminist guest um, and I was thinking about the idea of feminism and how that is a word that I used to feel so at home with mm. and that um, sort of as I get older and, and as kind of the movement sort of changes, I suppose, it's, it's a word that I feel a bit more distanced from and feels maybe more problematized to me. Um, when I think about kind of contemporary feminism, um, it feels like a bit of a it feels a little bit disappointing to me in a few different ways. Um, it, you know, it, it doesn't feel the most inclusive movement. It doesn't necessarily encompass ideas of um, class and economy. Um, I feel like there's a kind of mainstreaming of feminism that has maybe done it a bit of a disservice. Mm -hmm. um, so I was thinking about what it meant to include a kind of typical feminist guest um, and um. And I, and I was using Andrea Dworkin as an example, mm -hmm. um, thinking that she was somebody that was a really kind of formative influence on my thinking around kind of gender and feminism. Um, I think she's a great writer. I think she's a great thinker. Um, but there's a lot that's kind of problematic about her. You know, she's kind of a gender essentialist. Um, a lot of her views are maybe a bit outmoded now. Um, 
but then I was sort of talking myself into um, <laughs> into having her as my guest uh, because you know she's not perfect. Um, but like I said, she is a great writer and a great thinker. Um, I definitely found something really permissive about kind of the absoluteness and the cantankerousness of her position when I first read it. Um, and, and that it was okay to say these things that seem so radical, but also seem so, um, so kind of sort of small in a way that felt very relatable. Um, and her memoir, um, Heartbreak, um, is one of my favorite books. I think she's a really lyrical writer when she's not necessarily writing politically. Um, I think the language is so interesting in that book. It's really kind of soft and abstract and and kind of flowing. And um, so um, so I was initially using her as an example of somebody that I would not use, but then I absolutely talked myself into definitely <laughs> having her as a guest. Um, so she would be my first guest, I think. Fantastic. I think it's important. I mean, it's it's totally okay to have slightly controversial dinner guests because that makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> let's move on to your second one. So my second guest, um, I, this is based on the fact that I, I dreamt about her last night. I dreamt that um, so it's Mitski, the musician, um, mm, and I had okay. a dream last night that I wanted to go see a Mitski show and I was like wandering Manchester looking for somebody to go see a Mitski show with me. Yeah. And I just went on my own in the dream and I and it just reminded me of how much I just adore her. Um <laughs> I'm not listening to her in a while, but I'm probably gonna you know, rectify that very quickly. Um but I, I think um there's such a kind of unapologetic and almost like almost like slightly toxic womanliness to <laughs> her writing and music. Like she writes about things like obsession and like fixation and preoccupation and about always being like 10 steps ahead of the person that she's in a relationship with. And, and she's always, she's almost sort of appalled at her own behavior or appalled at her herself mm. and the ways that she thinks and her kind of, her sort of fantasy world, her own fantasy world. I think a lot of her music is about her fantasy world. Yeah, so. I mean, really, well, it's a really interesting choice because our, so every month um, for our book club meetings, we have a playlist. And uh, Mitski appeared many times on the playlist from this month when we, we were kind of reading Supper Club. So I think that's a really <laughs> interesting <laughs> choice that makes sense because it's a lot of that kind of female rage and uh, that idea of women being able to be toxic without being judged because toxic men are not judged as much as toxic women. Yeah, and I, I think there's something that's like, um, she's quite self-conscious about those aspects of herself or at least those aspects of the kind of um, identity she's sort of in control of maybe, or, or kind of putting out there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm, I really love that sort of self-consciously like grandiose emoting. Um, and I think, um, you know, that, that was something that I was thinking about in writing Supper Club. And I think um, the character Roberta is also probably a bit like that sort of self-consciously, mm -hmm. um, self-consciously and willfully indulgent of her emotions <laughs> um, how about how about the third guest so the third guest um so i would have the writer am holmes um so this is just somebody that i've been thinking about recently and I, i'm working on my new novel um and and she's i guess kind of an influence um on on the piece of work and somebody that i've been thinking about when i've been writing about it um and I think I would just want her to be at the dinner party so I could 
be so I could like corner her maybe take her into a different room and just talk to her really <laughs> intensely um, and I, I just about how she writes and about her practice and like maybe be like let's get out a laptop and unpack this right I bring it bring it bring up a document like let's let's really get into this um and, and I, I do feel a kind of compulsion to like I, I don't think I could ever attend an event with her because I would, I would just want to, just, like, just one more question from me. Um, <laughs> so uh, on your sentence structure. Um, so um, yeah, she would, she'd be a dinner guest and she'd be captive in my house. So I'd <laughs> be able to ask her as many questions as I wanted. That's brilliant. Do you, how do you feel like those guests would kind of get on? Do you, or do you think that you would maybe forget about the other two and just talk to her the whole thing? <laughs> God, I hadn't thought about like the cohesiveness of the well, I mean, it's <laughs> of the dinner party. <laughs> um, no, I don't know if they would get on. I feel like all of them feel like they have sort of quite different sensibilities. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe it would be a bit of an awkward dinner party. <laughs> I mean, well, what tunes would be on repeat all evening? Maybe that would kind of help to diffuse some kind of awkwardness. Um, so the first song I picked is uh, Mitski, Best American Girl, um, mm. because I think this would be, I mean, it would be quite awkward, I suppose, for Mitski for me to play this and then kind of talk <laughs> really effusively about how brilliant it is. Um, so, um, but I think it's a good kind of route into her work. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first one. And then the second one would be um, Pavement, Cut Your Hair. Um, this is because this is a song that they listen to at dinner party in supper club. Um, and I just love the band Pavement. Um, I remember the first time I heard them, I felt like I kind of willed my perfect band into existence. Um, and then finally, um, I'd have um, Morrissey, Trouble Loves Me, because unfortunately I'm listening to quite a bit of Morrissey at the moment. <laughs> um, this is off one of my favorite albums. Um, and I've also read the book, um, a book called Monsters recently, uh, what the name of the author, up, um, which is a book that kind of asks about, asks the question of like, what do you do with the art of terrible men? Um, oh, sounds like a really interesting book. It's re it is really interesting. Uh, Claire um, Dederer. Um, and then when I got it, I, I immediately just, I skimmed through it, like looking for, um, to see if, Morrissey had its own chapter and I was like give me some clarity help me reconcile Morrissey <laughs> um, unfortunately there wasn't so I'm just gonna have to do my own thinking around that <laughs> so I'm getting the impression that it's going to be quite an intense evening quite intellectually intense some intense music <laughs> does the tablescape reflect that uh, does the theme reflect, reflect that or is it kind of just a come as you please type dinner party tables not set you know um I think for the, my tablescape theme, I've just given it nice things from around the house. I don't think I'm, um, I don't think I'm domesticated enough to to do a full tablescaping um, theme. So I think it would just be gathering like little oddities mm -hmm. from around the house um, and putting them on the table and trying my best to make it look nice. <laughs> And I, I mean, I'd love to know your descriptions of the dinner parties in Supper Club are so evocative. Does that mean you have experience kind of hosting your own or was it really very much from your imagination? I mean, it was most, it was from my imagination. <laughs> it was, it was from my, 
imagination. Um, I've actually, I host more dinner parties recently um, or have people over for dinner more because um, I've got a little boy now, I've got a two-year-old and um, I think having uh, people over for tea is actually a really easy way of social, well not easy, but it's a quite a good way to socialise yes, um, yes. if you've got children <laughs> he, can, he can just be asleep in his room and, <laughs> and like me and my partner can like actually spend time together instead of like usually it's like one of us that can go to whatever the thing is mm-hmm. um so it's quite nice to um like put him to bed and have friends over mm-hmm. um, and then you're already at your house so you don't have to worry about getting home just roll into bed when everyone leaves um so actually probably host a few kind of dinners these days that's my favourite thing, actually, about hosting is the fact that you can just go upstairs and go to bed <laughs> <laughs> after you've, you know, cleared up everything. But <laughs> um, so, I mean, now onto the most important bit, I think, um, onto the food. What are you serving for your starter? Okay, for my starter. So, first of all, I'm going to um, just say that I'm very much a home chef. I'm mm. not a fancy chef. It's very much like home cooking. Um, so, to begin with, um, which seems like a very kind of home cooking thing, um, but also kind of seems classy in a kind of art gallery cafe sort of way. And so I'm doing butternut squash soup, um, which I might put, you know, I might put a drizzle of oil on top of it, maybe some toasted pumpkin seeds. Um, So that's something that I cook for people for lunch quite often. It feels like hearty and there's something nurturing about it. Um, So that would be my starter. Delicious. Are you serving bread with it or just on its own? Hmm. Maybe. No, I will be serving bread with it because one of one of my priorities is that I want everyone to leave full. Yes. Yeah. Um, so bread. Yeah. Bread. Definitely. And what, um, what kind of bread? Hmm, I mean. Yeah, maybe. I mean, just maybe a. A nice bread from Morrison's, <laughs> a nice crusty <laughs> bread. <laughs> To go with the Morrissey tune, I, I see the theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for the main, um, a meal I did uh, not that long ago, which I was quite pleased for, with, um, was I did like a, a baked aubergine with uh, lemon, um, parsley and mozzarella, mm. and it looked very elegant. And then I bulked it up with um, the Marcella Hazan butter tomato sauce pasta. So that kind of that's your kind of filling bit, and then you've got some nice baked aubergine on the side. Um, so yeah, that people will be full, hopefully. And is and that, then, is that those dishes? Kind of, no, those do those dishes kind of mean something to you, or is your intention kind of like being as hearty as possible, as homey as possible, so that people leave completely satisfied and full? So I mean, one of my other intentions is um, it, one of my other. Um, things is that I want things that are not too stressful Mm. I I want to be able to kind of maybe have things that you can kind of get going before people arrive and then you can join them and they're still cooking um which which those all are um I read um Small Fires by Rebecca Mae Johnson Mm. um a bit ago um which I absolutely recommend particularly if you're interested in writing on cooking and food Mm. and she talks about another Marcella Hazan tomato pasta sauce um, which kind of runs through the book um, and, and it did make me think about that recipe in a different way and she talks about how it was the first time that um, that it kind of enlightened her to 
the idea of like cooking something is not necessarily about all of the ingredients you, that you chuck in it's about the way in which you cook them um and I think um I, I I used to make a kind of tomato sauce for pasta and I used to just throw everything in to try and create as much rich flavor as possible um and then one of my friends told me about this um recipe in which you just it's just like a tin of tomatoes, a load of butter and a full onion. And then you take the onion out at the end. Um, but but the, the, the sauce is kind of infused with- Oh, so the onion is, the onion's whole? Yeah, so you just put a whole peel, obviously like a peeled whole onion in the sauce and then you leave it for, you know, like at least an hour, uh -huh. um, stirring it regularly. So it doesn't kind of caramelize and burn at the bottom. Um, and then you take the whole onion out, but all of the flavor remains in the sauce um and it's just tomato butter onion that's that's all of the ingredients but it's so delicious yeah. it's it's really it's really hearty it's really uh, yeah it, it's got like a really nice sort of slipperiness to it mm. that um, sounds almost like it wouldn't work but i i can imagine the kind of butteriness of it would make it really silky and smooth and delicious it's yeah it's it's a good one if and particularly if you can't think of anything to cook Yes, <laughs> um, it's quite a quite an easy one to to whack together. Um, so how yeah, about, how about for your dessert? So for dessert, I'm going to do um, an avocado chocolate mousse, mm. um, just because it's the sort of same thing that seems kind of vaguely impressive whenever I've done it. Like it's just, I don't know, it's fun to say, hey, this is an avocado. Um, it's quite easy. Um, so and and you can kind of make it look fancy. You can put it in a nice, in like a nice cocktail glass, mm. um, and then have it chilling in the fridge, um, and then and then bring it out as your kind of final showpiece. Delicious. Do you? I mean, when you can you remember the first thing you ever cooked for a dinner party or for friends or something like that? Um. Yeah, I kind of vaguely do. The first time I remember sort of like hosting a dinner um, and I really, I wasn't sure how you hosted a dinner and I wasn't sure what, what to make. And I think I made chilli with couscous. Um, like chilli carne. Yeah, I made a vegetarian chilli. I think I made it with vegetarian mince and then with couscous. Um, yeah, so it was an odd combination. <laughs> Um, I, mean, I, think, I think it works it's like a healthier version I guess if people think <laughs> is unhealthy which I don't but I suppose people would think that couscous is kind of lighter I my first um dinner party was roast chicken before I was vegetarian and the otto lenghi sweet potato gratin which had a lot of garlic and some green beans and that I delicious. remember that <laughs> I was 16 17 or something like that but I, I mean I do think there's something to be said about the responsibility almost or the role that's placed on women to host dinner parties um and whether that has kind of been reclaimed almost by you know millennial or gen z women who love hosting dinner parties for their friends a bit like uh i guess a calmer version of the suppers in supper club um do you feel that that's the case or do you feel that i don't know that it's still quite a kind of gendered thing for women to be kind of the ones hosting dinner parties um I don't know about specifically about dinner parties um because 
yeah, I guess like a dinner party is like, I don't know, now increasingly like, you know, it's a bit of a privilege to be able to host a dinner party. <laughs> um, so, um, but I, I think about, I think there's a lot of tension around cooking. Um, I remember reading an essay um, a while ago and I, I cannot find it now. And I think about it all the time. That was about the idea of food work and like food labor and that how there is this kind of fundamental tension to women's, sorry, that's um, my computer going off. Um, there is this kind of tension in um, cooking for women because on the one hand, women kind of are burdened with um, the majority of the food work, whether that is kind of cooking, or whether that's you know making making the shopping list every week, um, and or doing like the meal planning or keeping on top of you know what's in the cupboard, what needs replenishing, um, and I know that in my household like I do all of that, and like my you know my partner is like you know he's pretty good. <laughs> we have like I wouldn't say we have like a 50-50 and split of the domestic labour, um, but you know we have pretty close to 50 50 mm -hmm. um but but I think food is just maybe more my area of interest and um, so I end up doing all of that um, um or it is maybe kind of something that I'm more comfortable with than he is um so so I absolutely end up doing all the labor and like again particularly with a child it's definitely me who thinks like what are the things that he's going to eat this week and making sure he has like a balanced diet and also things that are kind of you know, relatively easy to put together after like a grueling day of childcare. <laughs> um, so, so I think women do get, do take the burden of cooking, but then I also think like cooking is so pleasurable and, and there is so much joy to be found in cooking. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely, you know, I, I love cooking. I, I, I find it one of, and one of the things I wanted to write about in Supper Club is that, um, it's like, it's quite a fun way to use your body. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have sort of a desk job, um, and you're somebody that's spending a lot of time in your own head or kind of seated at a laptop it is a way you can be really sort of fully embodied mm. and and moving and sort of thinking with your body um and and I think there's something really pleasurable about that and I and I you know I do find cooking dinner at the end of the day like a way of unwinding like listening to a podcast listening to music cooking dinner um but I also find it a form of work um that I'm doing you know 99% of um, mm. in my household um so yeah there's I think there is this kind of innate tension to cooking and, and kind of food labor for women I mean it's, it's that expectation on women versus like you say the pleasure of cooking being without expectation yeah I, is explored a lot in supper club yeah yeah absolutely um I'm I've got a little boy and I'm I'm so conscious of making him really comfortable like in the kitchen mm. as he grows older and 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 making sure he kind of understands food and how to cook it um that said like this was not this was absolutely not my experience my mum cannot cook anything I was never <laughs> shown how to cook like like it is absurd how little my mum can cook like she lives <laughs> off like she lives off like ready meals and you know she and and like party food <laughs> that she has in the freezer um and and that was kind of like my experience growing up um so I you know like there is definitely a gendered thing in that I kind of gravitated towards teaching myself how to cook um, mm. and sort of seeing that as a valuable skill um, mm. in a way that maybe my partner didn't um like my male partner didn't um so yeah 
I, I do I do really want to teach my son how to cook and 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 kind of make it a, a kind of fundamental part of being a person in the world which is it should be normal <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it does remind me a lot of those kind of themes around women taking up space because it's it's so rare to read about women for example putting on weight and celebrating it um or about women kind of acting in a socially deviant way um and it's this idea of women taking up space by cooking and by eating and and why why is that theme i guess so important for you to explore um, one of the reasons i was in keen on exploring it is that uh, when i was thinking about like coming up with ideas for a novel and particularly thinking about a first novel and thinking about what i wanted to write um i was thinking about a lot of the um a lot of the books that were really exciting to me in my early reading life were kind of books that you might label as like transgressive fiction. So books like American Psycho or, you know, works by Brett Easton Ellis or like Chuck um, Palahniuk. Um, and, um, and I was thinking so much of transgressive fiction tends or kind of historically has been from a male perspective and it's been male kind of men kind of transgressing through the use the female body very often um and um and i was wondering what a transgressive novel would look like through a from a female point of view um and i was kind of thinking about the idea of i don't know men externalize anger and emotion and women internalize anger and emotion which again is quite a gender essential idea but um i was thinking about women probably would be transgressing through their own bodies um rather than through sort of inflicting something on somebody else's body. Um, and I wondered what would be a kind of thing that would feel shocking and transgressive. Um, and that felt like the, the idea of consciously gaining weight to take up space or kind of consciously taking up space or consciously indulging your appetite um, in a kind of unapologetic way seemed something that shouldn't be shocking, but kind of was. That's super interesting. I mean. It's kind of, do you, did you start writing the book knowing that it would be a kind of feminist novel or did that become clear as you wrote the book? Did you kind of go set out thinking this is the kind of literature that I want to produce or was it just that by talking and re writing about the experiences of a woman or multiple women, it just became kind of clear that you had to tackle a range of issues surrounding feminism? And that's really that's a really interesting question. Um, I think probably it was conscious. I think maybe I was more sort of interested, and not that I'm not that I'm not interested in feminism now because I absolutely am. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I was probably consciously reading more kind of feminist texts. Um, I was interested in portrayals of female identity. I was interested in kind of the idea of myself as like a woman, right? Like a female writer um, and what that meant. I mean, so one of the things that I wanted to do in the book is um, there's there's kind of recipes in, well, not really recipes, but but sort of um, kind of like meditations on particular recipes or like meditations on certain types of food. Um, and that was almost like a way of me kind of self-consciously taking, taking up space on the page mm. or almost like putting the reader through like, I'm going to do this kind of uh, this thing that I find like stylistically or conceptually interesting and you're going to sort of have to sit through it a little bit um, mm -hmm. in a way that I think a lot of kind of male writers do that. Um, 
so I, I was I was thinking about gender and identity mm. um and it was you know it was my second book after my short story collection which again I was thinking about gender and identity in that um more but I think as I've kind of progressed as a writer that's something I maybe think about slightly less mm. um but yeah I would say at the time I was I was kind of aware of it maybe being in conversation with with feminist books mm. and ideas mm -hmm. I mean kind of bringing it back to your dream feminist dinner party do you feel that the conversation would echo the conversation we've had today or do you think it would be slightly different um how, how do you feel it would kind of go the evening Hmm. So what if we were talking about kind of feminine feminism and oh I mean what would the conversation be? It doesn't have to be feminist, just because you've brought three feminist icons into a room, it doesn't, you know, it's reductive to be like, well, women only talk about feminist issues. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't know how the conversation would go. Um I'd be really interested, I would be really interested to kind of talk uh, talk to talk to these three women about kind of women's writing. Mm. um and 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 if there is something kind of particular about women's writing I mean I was thinking about um I was thinking about Andrew Dawkins writing and I was thinking about um the essay like the laugh of the producer by Helen Sissou um mm. and about the idea about women's writing being kind of having been characterized more by a sort of ebb and a flow rather than kind of building to a kind of like phallocentric crescendo mm. um and um and I actually think all three of those writers maybe um kind of have a sense of that mm. um and so maybe I would be interested in maybe we would be talking about yeah well like is there something in sort of particular about women's writing mm. um yeah I love that answer because yeah it kind of shows that feminism can be woven into any conversation it doesn't have to be about the kind of frustrating parts of being a woman or the way that women are mistreated it can also be a, a celebration of literature for example yeah that's a that's a nice way of thinking about it <laughs> um so I mean as we come to the end of the episode I'd love to hear how does your feminist dinner party end up is it like supper club is it less messy what time will your guests leave <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would like to think it would end in dancing, but mm -hmm. I think it would end in an argument, oh, um, <laughs> maybe a storm out and maybe a cry. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah. But maybe, may, or maybe actually, maybe it would end in a really cathartic, just mass crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love mm -hmm. to see that I feel like that would be a documentary level of like random people together crying <laughs> having my, um, my grandma um, my grandma is a uh, Polish and she she you know she comes out with some hilarious things and um <laughs> and one of the things she always says is that crying releases a strong poison from your eyes and oh. um and I often think about that, like just I'm releasing the strong poison from my eyes. So <laughs> maybe we could all, all of us do that together. I love that. That's a kind of bittersweet way to, to end the evening <laughs> and, and the episode. Um, just finally, you may not have an answer right now, but for our listeners, how do you kind of 
I guess, make yourself a better feminist on an everyday basis? Or how do you uh, maybe make yourself a bad feminist on an everyday basis, basically? <laughs> hmm. um, I guess, um, yeah, I, I, I guess, like I said, I, I have more kind of complicated feelings around the idea of feminist and identifying as a feminist, just because I think, I don't know, when I think about kind of the feminist movement, I don't know how much I sort of identify with a lot of the ideas and conversations um, that are being had, um, whether that's kind of, you know, kind of taking it along the lines of biological essentialism, which mm -hmm. feels really troubling to me. Um, um, so I guess, I guess my answer would be something to do with like intersectionality mm -hmm. and thinking about kind of how contemporary feminism is serving, which groups of people and um yeah and, and and thinking about how you can kind of make feminism more inclusive and not just sort of assume that you have the de facto experience of being a woman today and also kind of maybe thinking more materially um so what are the kind of material concerns um of of women these days um and kind of maybe sort of focusing more on those, um, which is not something I would have maybe found myself answering a few years ago, but is maybe more where I'm at these days. Thank you so much. And I that's a really lovely point to end on because we identify as an intersectional feminist club and it's a really important way to kind of carry out life as a feminist is to be as intersectional as possible. Um, so thank you so much, Lara. I loved your dinner party. I've had a great time, <laughs> especially, you know, the mass cry at the end, the food was delicious, the music was great. Um, and thank you so much uh, for being our very first guest on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a Thanks. great day. You too.